But I'm excited and expectant for what God is wanting to do in our midst this year. Um, I really believe that it's a new season. And the word that I'm going to be sharing with us this morning is entitled New Beginnings. New Beginnings. And yes, it's um, poignant, it's um, relevant because it's the beginning of a new year. And, um, but more than that, I really believe the Holy Spirit is saying that it's a new season for many of us. It's a new chapter. For some people, it's a new book. It's a new season. There's a time of change of seasons over us right now, even as a church. I really believe that it's a change of season. And um, it's for most of us, for a number of people. Yes, you may not find yourself. Maybe you're the one out of however many who's not right at that place now. And that's okay. Um, you can listen to this message and it will apply to you at some point. But for many of us and for the church, I believe God is saying that it's a season for new beginnings. Can you say that to your neighbor? It's, it's a time to begin again. And anyway, at the beginning of a year, most of us press that reset button, don't we? We see all over Facebook, all over social media, those people who use it, everybody's new goals, they're going to eat this much green kale, they're going to do this much exercise, they're going to do this, they're going to do this. And that's fine, that's great, because it's good to break up our lives into bite-sized chunks and to realign and refocus. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, that's really great. And so, so that's good. But we're using this time to say, you know what, it's a time for new beginnings. It's a time for new things. And I really feel like the Lord this morning wants to encourage some of us who've lost heart. You know, when life happens and you had a dream or you had a calling or you, you had a passion, you had something that burned so strongly in your heart, and then over the course of time for one reason or another, and we're going to look at some of those reasons a bit later, that thing just, it never comes to fruition, it never comes to light, and in the process of time, it ends up dying, Okay, maybe it's, maybe it's that you've been in a season, a winter season, and you've tr it's not that you've sinned, it's not that you've done anything wrong, it's just been a season of win where it's been winter, and all you can see is barrenness around you, no matter how much you try to push out that fruit, no matter how much you try to make it happen, it just doesn't happen. And so in the process of that winter season, which has been divinely ordained by God, you lost heart. The thing died, the dream died, that passion died, okay? So I'm wanting, to, if that's you, I'm wanting to speak to you this morning. I believe God wants to speak to you. For whatever reason, you lost heart, you gave up, that dream died, that, that calling that once was so big in your mind has shriveled up and has become lost on your list. I'm speaking to you this morning. And the scripture that the Holy Spirit spoke to me through initially was 2 Kings 13 verse 21. 2 Kings 13, verse 21, I've been meditating on this, I've been thinking about this. And it happened that as a man was being buried on an open bier, they saw a, a band coming, and they threw the man into Elisha's grave. So there's a man who's died, and they're wanting to bury him, but they see some robbers and some raiders coming, and so in their haste and in their rush, they throw, it into, they throw the body into Elisha's grave. Now Elisha the prophet has died. Okay, so it's his grave, it's his tomb. And it says, but when the body of the man was, th was thrown into this tomb and touched the bones of Elisha, the body revived and the man stood up on his feet. 
So when the man's dead body touched the anointing, which is the anointing of the Holy Spirit on Elisha's dead bones, this man, this dead man revived and stood on his feet. He didn't just revive and he was lying on the ground and he was just breathing, but that's all he could do. No, he revived and he stood on his feet. So he stood, he was ready to move. And I really believe that's a picture of what God wants to do to those dreams, those passions, those desires, that destiny, those callings that are in your heart that have possibly died. There's a place where the anointing of the Holy Spirit, when, it, when he comes upon you, he brings those things back to life and not just so they're breathing again, but they're barely moving. So Breathing again, but there's no strength. No, they're breathing again. They stand on their feet and they have strength, strength to move and make progress. Can you say amen to that? I love the scripture in Genesis 1 verse 1 to do. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now that, that was the situation before God created the whole earth. How many of you can identify with this? The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. Maybe that's what your dream looks like. Maybe that's what the calling that God has given you looks like. Maybe you look at your life and you can say, well, you know what, Lord? I see a lot of formlessness. I see a lot of voidness, for want of a better word. I see a lot of emptiness. But you know what? That's okay. Because when the Holy Spirit comes upon that, when the Holy Spirit, come on people, when the Holy Spirit comes upon that, when we position ourselves in a place where the Holy Spirit can come upon that, no matter how empty it is, no matter how void it is, no matter how dark it may seem, no matter how hopeless it may seem, when the Holy Spirit comes upon that and broods, the Lord just has to speak a word, let there be, and it will be so. Amen. The void didn't have to try and make something come out of nothing. No. It just had to allow the Holy Spirit to rest, to hover over itself. The darkness didn't have to try and produce fruit. No. It was God's word that came when the Holy Spirit was brooding. And so my prayer today is that we will align ourselves with the word of God and we will align ourselves with where, and position ourselves with where he wants us to be, that the Holy Spirit can hover upon us. No matter how much void, blackness, darkness, emptiness there may seem to be, we will allow him to hover over us and listen and speak and agree with what he's speaking. Amen. You see, when God is causing us to birth something, when he's calling us to birth something new and Whatever he's called you to, you're probably going to have to birth it. You're probably going to have to birth something. When he's called you to start something, when he's called you to establish something, whether it's a business, whether it's a ministry, whether it's a household, whether it's kids uh, growing up and walking in the ways of God, whatever it is that he's called you to do, you're going to probably have to birth it in the Spirit. And most of the time when he calls us to birth things in the Spirit, things don't look how we would like them to look in the natural. And I'm wanting to quickly look at the example of Mary and Joseph, just to give us a picture of this. In Matthew 1 verse 20, an angel of the Lord appears to Joseph and says, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. They were unmarried. 
Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived within her is conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now, putting aside what people would have been saying at the time about Mary, because they would have been saying things, okay, because she was pregnant and unmarried. The angel said to him, what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So Mary allowed herself to be in that place where the Holy Spirit came upon her and conceived something in her that was from the Lord, okay? And it, uh, the angel says, you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So basically, God is coming. And, and by the way, if you look in Luke, there's another account of this, okay? But, but the angel comes and basically says to them, you guys, you're going to bring forth a son. You're going to call him Jesus. He's conceived by the Holy Spirit, and he will save the people, the people from their sins. So when God gives us something to birth, he knows its name. He knows its purpose, okay? And he knows what he's birthing and when he's birthing because he chose when to birth it. Amen. He knows all of those things. And what I find so fascinating in Luke 2 verse 7, when, the angel is talk, uh, when, uh, when Luke is recounting the, the, uh, uh, the angel speaking to them and so forth, it says, And Mary brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them at the inn. Now, that always fascinates me. It fascinates me and it makes me think because here is God's ultimate plan that has been in place since the foundation of the world, okay, to save all of mankind from their sins. So God's big, the biggest idea, can you agree with me? The biggest idea, Jesus, that was God's biggest idea. There was no room for him at the inn. So why do we give up when we look around? And we like, Lord, and by the way, I'm preaching to myself as I say this, okay? Lord, there's no room for my idea. Lord, there's no room for my books. Lord, there's no room for my business. Lord, there's no room for my church. Lord, why can, how can you be calling me to birth this? There's no room. No, if he's calling you to birth it, just birth it. There was no room for Jesus either. There was no room at the inn, but it didn't matter. See, we've got to stop looking in the natural to confirm what God is saying to us. We have to listen to his word, position ourselves in a place where the Holy Spirit can come upon us. And we're faithful to birth that thing, whether there's room at the inn or whether there's no room at the inn. Amen. And that is what God is saying to us today. He wants to encourage us. Encourage us. I love this scripture from Hebrews 11, 11. It says, by faith, Sarah received strength to conceive seed and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised because she judged him faithful who had promised i want to ask you today what has god promised you what word has he given you what has he spoken over your destiny what things has he called you to birth and do you judge him faithful who's promised because when we judge him faithful who is promised, we position ourselves in a place of belief. We receive strength to conceive seed and bring forth the promise. Amen. Amen. It's time to move on. God wants us to move on. It's time for new beginnings. It's time for new beginnings. In Deuteronomy, if you read uh, chapter 1, verse 6 to 8, 
says, the Lord, God, the Lord our God spoke to us in Horeb, saying, You have dwelt long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey and go to the mountains of, and then he carries on, go here, go there, go there, go there. I'm going to say that again. The Lord spoke to us, saying, You have dwelt long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey. Go, Christian church. We have dwelt long enough at this mountain. It is time to turn and take our journey. Amen. See, sometimes we can get so comfortable with the familiar. Even though we're going around the same mountain because we're not, we're not moving on. Maybe we're not learning the lesson. Maybe we're just not positioning ourselves in a place of faith. But it becomes familiar and there's, there's comfort in the familiar. Hey, and we go round and round the same mountain. Round and round and round. Well, I've come to tell you this morning, it's time to turn and take our journey and move on. Amen. It's time. Okay. In Joshua 18 verse 3. Joshua says to the children of Israel, how long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord has given you? How long will we take to go in and possess the land? Because although we feel like we will be here forever, we won't be here forever. My prayer has been, Lord, teach me to number my days. Teach me. Teach me to number my days. Help me to live with wisdom. My days are finite there's a finite number of days that we have to live. And when you've lived today, you're going to have one less day to live in your life. I know that sounds a bit morbid, but it's the truth, okay? Lord, teach me to number my days. How long will we take? No, Lord, just another year to prepare. Just another year of preparation because I don't feel prepared. Well, God doesn't always call you when you've got all the degrees and you've got all the preparations and you've got everything and you feel like you can do it because then, quite frankly, you won't need him. Amen. When we feel like we can do it on our own and we've got the qualifications and we've got the finances and we've got all the connections and it looks good everywhere, we, we, we don't really need to trust God because we can do it in our own strength. But generally, he doesn't call you out when you're in that place. And so we've got to step out in faith. It's time to step out. What has God called you to do? What things has he given you to do? Maybe for some of you, you've started. But there's another level. Maybe you've done this, but there's also that and that and that. And the Lord is saying it's time to step out. It's time. Maybe people around you don't see it. But you know and God knows it's time. It's time to step out. Hebrews 5 verse 12 to 14 says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You still need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you've come to need milk and not solid food. Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you still need someone to teach you. For everyone who partakes of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. He's a babe. Solid food belongs to those who are full age. That is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Though by this time you ought to be. What is God saying to you that you ought to be by this time? Though by this time you ought to be teaching. 
Maybe God has put a teaching gift on your life and he's saying to you, by this time you ought to be teaching, but you're still sitting on it because you're afraid. You're still sitting on it because you think and you're exalting your thoughts above the word of God. Amen. Though by this time you should have started this many businesses, you're still working in corporate because you're afraid. Though by this time you should have, you still, there's something holding you back. What are the things that hold you back? Because it's time for us to step out. And I'm not saying step out and throw caution to the wind. We step out in accordance with how God leads us. Amen. So what are the desires in your heart? The callings, the dreams, those things that God, you know God has called you to birth in the earth. That you've relegated to some corner. Or maybe they've dropped into a dark tomb and you've thought they were dead. Maybe they've, you've, you've locked them away in a dark corner because they scare you. And they've been dying or they've died. Well, God wants to resurrect those. He wants to bring them back to life. Amen. You see, there are times when the delays in terms of us fulfilling and birthing certain things are divinely ordained. There are times where they're divinely appointed. Maybe they're seasons of hiddenness. Yes, we, are, we know that. We've, we've looked at that. There's seasons of hiddenness. There are seasons of preparation. But there are times when it's not God, okay, where we blame God, but we are really to blame. There are times, and we need to be able to discern and understand the difference. And if we find ourselves in this place where it's us, we need to be able to say, Lord, I repent of that. I repent of blaming you because, you see, when we blame God all the time, we remove the ability and the power from our own selves to change. If I always blame someone outside of me, I don't have the power to change because it's their fault and only they can change it. Amen. But if I take responsibility and I say, Lord, I repent for where I have possibly been passive, for where I have possibly been just waiting on you, but you're waiting on me, I, I take back the power to change it and do something about it. Okay, so I'm wanting to look at some of the reasons that will apply to some of us and some of the hindrances that we have in terms of entering into a new season, in terms of birthing those things that God has called us to birth. When he's saying to us, come on guys, it's time to, to birth those things. It's time to fulfill it. It's time to take the land. It's time... It's time to move on. I'm, I'm wanting us to look at the hindrances, the reasons for lack of progress. And these things can be dream killers if we let them be. They can be destiny dampeners. They can, they can bring us into a place where we, we never get to birth those things that God has called us to birth. Listen, if the enemy can use any of these to stop us from birthing what God is wanting to birth, he'll do it. And the enemy is more afraid of what God is calling you to birth than he is of you. Because God is, can put something in you that's supernatural, that's dynamic, that can change many people's lives, that can influence uh, regions, that can bring about change, and it's that thing that he fears. He doesn't want you to birth anything. In fact, if he can get you to just be comfortable in your seats on church on Sundays, just to, just to give your tithes and offerings faithfully, and, and that is all, 
The enemy will be very happy. But I'm wanting to provoke us this morning to say, come on, people, which of these hindrances apply to us? What is keeping us sitting on our laurels and not bringing forth the thing that God has called us to bring forth? So I've got a number of them. Are you ready? Okay, so as I'm going through these, just be praying and say, Holy Spirit, reveal to me if any of these apply to me. Holy, and I'm going to pray that now. Holy Spirit, reveal to us which of these apply to us. Take these words and, and cause them to bear fruit in the lives of the hearers in Jesus' name. So the first thing, the first hindrance, the first dream killer, if we don't understand it, is pruning. Pruning. John 15, verse 1 to 2, Jesus is speaking and he says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Okay, I think we, we skip that or we don't think about the implications of that last little phrase. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, and he always prunes with a purpose. Why does he prune? That it may bear more fruit. So maybe you're being pruned in your life, or maybe you've been pruned, or you've been through a season where you've been pruned, and you don't understand, and you're like, Lord, what is happening to me? I didn't do anything wrong. Yes, well, why is he pruning? There's nothing wrong. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. Why? That it may bear more fruit. Okay? And... If I think about my rose bushes, I've got lots of rose bushes, and it's taken me a long time to actually be settled with this. But every sort of June, July, August time, those of you who have roses, you know that's the time when you prune your rose bushes, okay? So I've got these beautiful big rose bushes. Some of them stand about this high. I have to keep chopping them back with lots of beautiful roses. Now come that time, I have to prune them like they're big, you know, big. I have to prune them down to about four or five sticks that stand about this high. Do you know how hard that is? I'm like, oh, Lord, <laughs> my God, it looks terrible. Lord, they better grow. They better grow back. And I've come to, you know, you, you come to a point where you, you, you it's okay. They're going to grow back. But you know what? If I don't prune them like that, then the wood that supplies all the food and the nutrients to the rosebuds, it, it, it goes old. So it's not as efficient in delivering what the roses need. And the road, they don't, they're not as many roses that grow. And they're not as beautiful and big. Okay? And my garden doesn't look as great. And, and that's a great picture of what God does to us. Sometimes in some seasons, it's time to prune. And your life gets pruned back. And you're like, oh, Lord, there's nothing to show for my life. And I wasn't doing anything wrong. Okay, but that's okay. Why is he pruning? That you can bear more fruit. Isn't that encouraging? Okay. Now picture a fruit tree that produces beautiful apples or whatever type of fruit. And underneath it is growing these beautiful saplings. Now, you might say, oh, but that's life. We must leave it. It's nature. It's natural. We must let it take its course. But how many of you know that those things, those saplings, need to be uprooted? Because although right now they're okay, as they grow, they're going to sap life from the main thing. Amen. And sometimes in our lives, that's what God does. We're busy in so many different things, and there's life in it. But at a certain point, God says, okay, I'm going to uproot that. I'm going to uproot that. Why? Because it's taking life from the main thing 
that he wants you to do and bear fruit in. Now, I can look at my life and I can see this clearly. I was very involved in so many, so many, some of you were here, some of you weren't. Almost every department I had my finger in, okay, at a certain point. Then at a certain point, I stepped back. It was time for me to take a sabbatical. What was that? Very clearly pruning, suddenly not involved in very much at all. And why was God doing that? So that when I come back, I'm much more focused and I can bring forth the thing that he wants me to bring forth in the way and the area that he wants me to bring it forth in. We have to understand times and seasons of God. Okay, so the first thing is pruning. If we don't understand it, it can cause that dream, that desire to die. We're like, oh Lord, you've, you've moved on. You've changed your mind. No, gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. He didn't change his mind. It's just a season. And this brings me to the next hindrance or the next reason why we can sometimes allow those things to die. It's seasons. Seasons, not understanding seasons. Genesis 8 verse 22. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night shall not cease. And yes, those are natural. We see that outside. But it also happens. It also applies to our lives. Come on, ladies. We can see it in our lives, can't we? There's seasons, childbearing seasons of career seasons where maternity seasons, breastfeeding seasons where you come back on ramp again, back to your career seasons of this, seasons of that. The one thing that's constant in a woman's life, I think, is that the seasons will change. Amen. Seasons change. That will happen. Ecclesiastes says to everything there is a season. What season are you in? What season have you been in? What season is God taking you into? To everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. What time is God bringing you into right now? What time is it in terms of what is he wanting you to birth and bring forth now? Because what he wants you to birth and bring forth now may be different to what he's spoken to you as well that maybe he wants you to bring forth in 10 years time. A time for every purpose under heaven. We need to walk with God. We need to hear what God is saying. What is the Holy Spirit saying to us? What do we need to focus on right now? It's a time to be born. There's a time to birth something. There's a time to die. There's a time when things that we've birthed will die and he'll resurrect something in its place. Okay? A time to plant. A time to pluck what is planted. A time to kill. A time to heal. A time to break down. A time to build up. A time to weep. A time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing. There's a time and a season for all of these things. A time to gain and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love, a time to hate, a time of war, a time of peace. There's a time and a season. There are rhythms and the spirits. And I think God wants our eyes to be enlightened, that we can be aware of times and seasons. There's autumn, winter, spring, summer. Even in our lives, there are those seasons. I've got a, an excerpt from a book written by a, a particular guy, and he's, it's called Walking, uh, Being with Jesus Every Season of Your Life. Mark Buchanan. And I've got an excerpt here I'm wanting to read. And he talks about this. Then in our lives, there's seasons. There's winter where it's death. We don't see a lot of fruit. There's spring where there's new life. Summer, lots of fruitfulness. And autumn. And we can't change these seasons. They're divinely ordained. But if I'm in a season of winter, I have to understand 
that it's divinely appointed, and I need to still keep those things in my heart and not allow them to die, knowing that at some point God will bring them forth. This is what he says about winter. I discovered these seasons of the heart late, close to 50, when I found myself in a winter. A friend and colleague whose presence I depended on more than I knew until it was gone got sick, and then very sick, and then died. Her name was Carol, and just writing her name opens a door that a cold wind slips through. She was blonde and big and funny and could pray heaven close. She forgot details and muddled dates, but remembered people, the most quirky and intimate things about them. And she could see deep into them the way prophets and sages and sometimes grandmothers can. She had a tumor in her skull, a thing that showed up first as a chronic headache, a mass big as a hardball nestled just above and behind her right ear, twined into her brain. Doctors plucked it out, but it grew again and spread. They went in again, but its roots ran thick and tangled, and all they could do was pare back its wildness a little. We prayed, desperate, confident, declarative, beseeching. We were gallant as knights, then frightened as children. We rode the news up, down, sideways. We grew, I suppose, but often we diminished too. She died. I held myself together and a few others besides. Carol was not just our friend, she was my co-pastor. And so our whole church was in crisis. I led well, I think, during her dying and her death. I was brave. I spoke words of comfort and hope, publicly and privately. At her funeral, I preached a message to stir and bolster faith. And then I awoke one morning, barren of fruit, bereft of joy, short of daylight. I could not shake it off. I could not make a thing grow. I saw a counselor, I had people pray for me, I read books, I begged God, I faked it, nothing ended it. And then God gave me insight, this was winter, it would end in time, but not by my own doing. My responsibility was simply to know the season and match my actions and inactions to it. It was to learn the slow, hard discipline of waiting. It was my season to believe in spite of, to believe in the absence of evidence or emotion, and when there's nothing, no bud, no color, no light, no birdsong to validate belief, it was my time to walk without sight. I spoke recently to a man in Thailand who spent his entire adult life translating the Bible into the languages of small tribes in remote islands of the Philippines. He told me of his deepest winter season. He had just been elected to a prominent directorship of his organization when an accident left him paraplegic. During his hospitalization, he suffered another accident that tore his nose off his face and left him temporarily blind. While he lay in his bed, unseeing, unmoving, in pain, Angry at God, a woman he discipled leaned into his pillow, put her mouth to his ear and whispered, do not forget in the night what God has shown you in the day. An unwelcome but much needed voice. Through my own winter, I've heard that voice. Hearing it, a whole new perspective has come and out of that, this book. You see, sometimes we can really try to change seasons in our own strength, but we can't. It has to be a divinely appointed thing. And it's important for us to understand seasons and to understand that just because you can't push it out and make something happen now, that's okay, it's winter. But when the time comes, God is going to do it.
And for many of you, that time has come now. And God is going to do it. Amen. For many of you. You see, the thing is with seasons, it might not even be that you're not ready. You may be ready. God may be ready. But maybe the environment is not ready. Maybe the people that God is sending you to are not ready. Maybe that country is not ready. Maybe the economics are not ready. Maybe there's something that God still has to ready before he gives the okay. And it's important that we understand this so those dreams inside of us don't die. Okay. The third hindrance that we have in term, and the third problem that we have and reason why these things die is unbelief. Unbelief. John 14, verse 12, Jesus is speaking and he says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the work that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. Greater works. Greater works. How many of you believe that about yourself? Greater works than Jesus you will do because he's gone to his Father, because he sent us the Holy Spirit, because when the Holy Spirit conceives and broods upon us and, and God brings forth stuff by the power of the Holy Spirit, it's awesome. Amen. There's something that God is calling you to bring forth. You can't say to me, no, my life doesn't matter. No, I'm not, I, I can't make that difference. No, those are lies from the enemy to stop you bringing forth. What you bring and what you carry can and will make a difference if you allow God to birth in and through you with the Holy Spirit. And I have some questions for you. Have we settled for mediocrity because of unbelief? Have we accepted our status quo of lack of fruitfulness? And the season is just always going to be like this because of unbelief. Is there unbelief in our hearts? Do we really believe that there must be greatness on our lives because of who we are in him? Because we have the Holy Spirit. Because there's greatness on each one of us. Amen. Mark 4 verse 3 to 8 gives a number of these challenges that we have where... Um, the dreams inside of us can die. This is Jesus speaking. He says, listen, a sower went out to sow and he sowed and some seed fell by the wayside and the birds came and devoured it and some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth. Immediately it sprang up, but because it had no depth of earth, when the sun came out and there was difficulties, it withered up and died. Some seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it. It yielded no crop, but other seed fell on good ground and yielded 30, 60, 100 fold. That's Jesus' teaching. And, that, and he, the seed speaks of the word, and he goes on and he explains it further down in Mark. He says, the, seed, the sower sows the word. What words has God spoken over your life? What words has he said over your heart? And, and you see, where there's unbelief, that's like when the, he sows the seed and it's sown on stony ground. And it takes root for a short while and then it withers up. Or it's sown on stony ground and because you look at it and you think there's no way, the birds of the air, the enemy, just come and pluck that word. Come and pluck those promises and they never take root. That's the power of unbelief. If we carry on, if we carry on through that, it talks about the, the seed sown on stony ground also being likened to those who, when they hear the word, receive it. But it only endures for a time. And this leads me to my next reason why dreams die. Incorrect expectations. We didn't really think it would take this long. So it springs up for five months. And then when persecutions come, it dies. And then we give up. Okay? 
We thought it would happen on the first try. We underestimated the task. We thought we could do it alone, but it'll take a team. We thought we could do it in a team, but we have to do it alone. For some of you, you just have to try one more time and it will work. Amen. They say for restaurant businesses, it succeeds on the seventh try. That means you have to endure six failures, six failed businesses. How many of you would like to do that? I wouldn't like to do that. Okay. But that's the reality. In Luke 14, it says, For which of you, intending to build a tower, doesn't sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Counting the cost. Lest after he's laid the foundation, he's not able to finish, and all who see begin to mock him. Planting a church, there's a cost to it. There's a cost to it. Our family knows the cost to it. I remember a time when Samuel was, was really upset. He's like, Mom, how come we always the first here and we always leave last? I'm hungry. And you know what I said to him? I said, Samuel, when you are the pastor of the church, very often you arrive first, you leave last, and no one thanks you. And that's the truth. That's the truth. There's a cost. You can't do it for people. You do it for God. Amen. There's a cost to whatever God is going to call you, cause you to birth. And we have to be straightened toward God. We have to do it for him. No, no one else counting the cost. The last reason in this portion of scripture in Mark um, with the parable of the sower that Jesus gives in terms of our destiny, our calling, our dreams dying, is he says, he talks about the, the seed sown amongst the thorns. And he says, and these are the cares of this world the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things, which when they enter in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. For some of you, this applies to you. Maybe you're chasing financial stability. Maybe you're waiting until the kids leave home. So God has put this thing in your heart. And you're like, Lord, no, not now. I've got kids in school. I just, just want to be financially stable. I need my job, Lord. Oh, I need this, Lord. I don't want to do that because, because it's going to take faith and I don't want it to impact this or that. The cares, the deceitfulness of riches, the cares of life. Lord, I'm, I'm waiting until this has happened. I'm waiting until I've got that degree. I'm waiting until I've made this breakthrough. I'm waiting until I've got this in my savings. I'm waiting until, until the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of life. Be careful that it doesn't choke out the thing, the life out of the thing that God has called you to birth, remember, there was no room at the inn for Jesus. Amen. There was no room at the inn. We have to be a people of faith where we move beyond looking at the natural and say, Lord, it's your word. It's this season. It's now. Come, Holy Spirit, bring forth the thing. And I know that you'll provide for the vision. The sixth thing that kills what God is wanting to birth through us is unhealthy comparisons. And we do this in the church a lot, unfortunately. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 12, it says, For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. They, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. When we compare ourselves amongst ourselves, it's not wise. Why? Because we're all different. Because what God has called me to birth and what he's got called you to birth are different. Because what he's called Go Christian Church to birth and what he's called another church down the road to birth is different. If we compare our church with that church, we might be frustrated because we don't have what they have, but they don't have what we have. God has given us what we've got because that's what we need to bring forth what we need to bring forth. 
What has God given you? He's given you that because there's something that you can bring forth that I can't. But you can because he's given it to you. An example of this is such a great picture is I was racing 20 champs, triathlon champs, a couple of years back. And I wanted to do really well. And so I climb out the water, and I'm a strong swimmer. That's my strength. So I climb out in the front, and then people start passing me on the bike. I need to get stronger legs, people. I have to be strong on the bike. <laughs> people start passing me on the bike. This lady passes her red bike with a red tri-suit. She looked really fast. Okay? Another lady passed me. Then on the run, another lady passed me. And another lady. And I'm like, oh, Lord. I'm lying fifth. You know? Oh, you know? But I'll still carry on. You know what? I got to the end of the race. Two of those people that passed me were not in my race. They were doing duathlon, which is run, bike, run. They weren't even in my race. But we do that all the time, don't we? We compare ourselves to people who are not running our race. They're not running our race. Another time I'm at Durban and my husband encouraged me that's the, that morning, Durban doing the half Ironman. Get up early, he says to me, my love, I just, I really want to encourage you not to look at, not to see yourself as a grasshopper when you look at the other athletes, you know, I just want to encourage you. I'm like, okay, cool, thanks. I'm standing at the start with all the swimmers and there's this lady in front of me, people. She's tall. She's got big hands, like she's going to swim really fast. Her feet, I think she wears like size eight or nine shoes, like flippers, Okay. She's really big and she's wearing this, she's strong. She's wearing this tri-suit with silver sleeves. And I look at her and I feel this fear starting to, I'm like, oh Lord, what am I doing here? Look at her, she's huge. And I caught myself and I remembered what the Lord said to me what, through my husband. Don't, don't see yourself as a grasshopper comparing yourself. Because if I look at her, she had big hands like paddles, like she's going to really swim fast. She had big feet like flippers, like she's going to swim like a fish. And you know what? She started in the, in the row, I think, just in front of me. And she started in batches. And as I was swimming out the end of the swim, you know what? I passed her. I could see her silver sleeves. And I'm looking, swimming past her. And I'm like, so it's not all about how big your hands are and how big your... We compare, but we don't know. We look at people on the outside and they look like they are more gifted, more perfect for what God has called us to. More everything than me. Lord, who am I? I'm just like a grasshopper. This person must surely be better. No, well, God put you there. There's a reason. Amen. We can't compare ourselves, okay? We need to stay in our own lane. Stay in your lane. Even if you're running on the outside lane blind, like old Wade for Nikok, stay in your lane. Run your race. You don't know what can happen at the end. Amen. Okay? We can't compare what we have. We can't compare our small with their big. We can't compare our young with their established. And vice versa, we can't compare our established with their new baby, whether it's a business, whether it's a ministry, whether it's whatever. Amen. Don't compare. Okay, it's foolish. It kills the dreams. How do you feel as a parent, as an auntie, as a grandma, you know, as a godparent, when your children compare, when the children compare amongst each other, they compare their gifts? Well, and they start fighting about it. How do you feel? Like, 
guys, I gave you that because I knew that would bless you. I gave you that because I knew that would bless you. Not because you're better or you're worse or you're, just because I love you and I gave what I thought would bless you. God does the same thing for us. He gives us what we can carry. He gives us what we can handle. He doesn't want us to compare or to fight amongst ourselves. Each one is unique and special. Number seven, the seventh dream killer. Wrong alliances and wrong partnerships. Amos 3 verse 3 says, can two walk together unless they are agreed? Can two walk together? 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness. When I ask you in your life, what alliances have you made? What alliances are you making in your businesses? What alliances and partnerships are you making? Who you partner with is important. It's important. We, we know a couple and they were in partnership uh, in business with a particular uh, with, an, with, another guy, with another couple and um, they, they experienced a measure of success. But this other couple was not, they were not equally yoked. They were not believers. They were not walking in the light. They were not walking with integrity. And they bought out this particular couple, less integrous couple. They bought out the shares. So the business, they could run with the business. The level of blessing, financial blessing that God has brought and multiplication that God has brought to that business is unprecedented. Be careful who you partner with. How can you give? How can you sow? How can you move in a certain direction when you can't even agree with your partner? In business, I'm talking about. And that, 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 that's aside from your, your husband or your wife, your spouse. That partnership, you should definitely not be walking unequally yoked. Okay, I'm not even going to go there. But you shouldn't, okay? How can you walk in complete integrity when your business associates, when your business partners want to pay backhanders here or there? Want to take shortcuts here or there? Don't pay workers on time. How can you then go before God and stand on his word and say, Lord, I've been faithful. I've paid my workers on time. I've sown. I've given. Now, Lord, bless. You can't do that. You can't go before God and say that. Because you haven't. Your partner isn't in agreement. You're not doing that. Amen. So these things are important. If God has spoken to you to birth something, to start something, to run with something, and you're going to partner, be careful who you partner with. Okay. Eight, lack of knowledge or tools. There are certain battles in terms of entering into what God has called us to that can only be won spiritually. Only be won spiritually. Example, Paul talks to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.18 and he says, This charge I commit you according to the prophecies made you, Timothy, that by them you wage the good warfare. See, we've got to wage warfare with prophecy. Maybe we got the prophecy, but we're passive with it. It's sitting on the shelf gathering dust. Well, today we're going to take it off, dust it off, and we're going to wage warfare. Amen. Ephesians 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power is might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the de devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And then he lists who we wrestle against. Lack of knowledge about spiritual warfare and knowing how to tackle it is a dream killer. We've got to know and understand these things. 2 Corinthians 10 verse says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Prayer and fasting, they're coming up. We've got two, two messages coming up the next two weeks are two major weapons for spiritual warfare, helping us to birth the thing that God has called us to birth. Please come. Please 
get equipped. Other weapons, praise, worship, giving, coming in the opposite spirit, the prophetic, overcoming evil with good. There's so many weapons and tools that God has given us. We need to be aware of these things and, and not just live according to our natural flesh. Amen. Okay, the last example of a dream killer is previous experiences. How many of you know Proverbs 13 verse 12 that hope deferred makes the heart sick? Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, it's a tree of life. Hope deferred. So you have a restaurant business. You believe that God spoke to you to bring it forth. But you know what? It failed the first time. You prayed. You trusted God. You believed. He said, yes, go now. You tried a second time. It failed. You're like, Lord, but you said. You said, okay, you prayed. You fasted. Third time, same thing. It failed. Fourth time, it failed. Fifth time, it failed. Sixth time, it failed. How many of you know at that point you're probably going to go back to God and say, you know what, Lord, I think I didn't hear you right all of those times. I'm going to change my vacation because this thing is evidently not working. You'd say that probably, right? Hope deferred. Hope deferred make the heart sick. But we have to keep tracking with God and not giving up hope because of bad experiences. Maybe for some people, they've tried one church, two churches, three churches, and each time they get hurt. And they've given up on God because of the church. But God's saying, you know what? Your previous bad experiences don't have to define your future. Amen. Okay. Some of you have tried before. Some of you tried. Maybe it didn't work out. And the Lord wants you to know today that it's a new season. If any of these nine things that the reasons, dream killers, apply to you, that's okay. We'll have a time of prayer. You can go home and pray through it. But God is saying to you that it's a new season. Like that picture of that dead body being forgotten in the tomb and it touches the anointing on Elisha's bones and it comes back to life and it stands up. That's what God is saying to us. It's a season. That's what's going to happen. It's time to birth. It's time to move on. It's, it's a season of faith. And I'm wanting to, to land this just sharing a few scriptures from Hebrews mostly. Hebrews 11 verse 7, by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, not yet seen, moved with godly fear, he prepared an ark for the saving of his household and became heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not, things not yet seen, obeyed, he obeyed. Can you imagine? They've never seen rain in the world before. Can you imagine everybody laughing at him? You're building a boat because it's going to rain. What is rain? You know, can you imagine? People laughing at him. People laughing at his wife. People laughing at his sons. He still did what God told him to do, even though it seemed impossible, by faith. Hebrews 11 verse 8, by faith Abram obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Not knowing where he was going. You see, sometimes when God calls us to go out, he says, come now, leave your family, leave your father's house, leave your land, leave everything that's familiar to you, and go set out because I'm calling you to a place. You're like, Lord, okay, Lord, where must I go? And he's like, I'll show you when you get there. You're like, no, 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 Lord, I need to know I'm that type of person. I need to know where I'm going. He's like, don't worry, I will be with you. I'll show you when you get there. God loves to do that. And Abraham obeyed. By faith he left. By faith he went, going to a land that he didn't know at the time. 
Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 4. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, those are the witnesses mentioned in Hebrews 11, so great a cloud of faith witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, all of these things that I've mentioned, unbelief, the deceitfulness of riches, the cares of life, disillusionment, let us lay aside the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race set before us. Run with endurance the race set before you. Say, I will run with endurance the race set before me. Say that. I run the, my race set before me, looking unto who? Looking unto myself? No, no, no. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Looking unto Jesus, why? Who for the joy that was set before him, so he's already done it. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down the right hand of the throne of God. It says, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Don't become weary. Don't become discouraged. Consider Jesus. And then it says, you have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. If you're weary, don't worry, you haven't resisted to bloodshed. You'll be okay. <laughs> Hebrews 12, therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame, what has been lame, what has been hindered may not be dislocated, but rather be healed and move forward and make progress and stand up like that body stood up in the tomb of Elisha, ready to make progress. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. So let's bow our head. I'm going to conclude. I'm going to pray. Keep your eyes closed. Father, as we come before you this morning, I just want you to reflect right where you're at. What dreams have you had in your heart? Maybe you once had them, maybe in your 20s, maybe in your teens, maybe 10 years ago, five years ago. What dreams have you had in your heart or what calling did God give you? What word has he spoken over you? And you know that you allowed it to die. Maybe it was through unbelief. Maybe it was through any of these things I mentioned this morning. Maybe it was through just seasons you lost hope. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Maybe you've been in a winter. Maybe it's been brutal. Maybe, maybe you sinned in the process. Maybe you got angry with God. Maybe you didn't understand times and seasons. Maybe you were really wounded. Whatever it was that caused it, you allowed that word, that dream to shrivel up and die. Or you allowed the enemy to steal it. Or you let it go out of your hand and you focused on other things just to survive. I'm wanting to ask you this morning, what part of your destiny have you given up on? What has died in you? What promise from God have you left on the shelf to gather dust? And I want you to do business with God right now. You know these things. Just under your own breath, you speak to Him. You speak to Him. You say, Lord God, I bring my life before you this morning. I bring these things before you this morning. And I thank you, Lord, that as I position myself in a place of repentance and obedience, choosing to to submit myself to your word, I know that you will bring forth life.
I know that you can do it, Lord. I know that you can do it, Lord. I'd like you all to stand, please, if you don't mind, and just keeping your eyes closed, your heads bowed. If you could relate to a part of this word, or you think, yes, Lord, I'm wanting to bring myself before you this morning and and thank you for a change of season. We just lift your hands to heaven. It's God who does it. It's the Holy Spirit who does these things. You lift your hands to heaven, a sign of surrender. Father God, you see your people, and right now we come before you and we repent, Lord God, where we've had unbelief, where we've allowed distractions, the cares of this life, misunderstanding, all of these things that I've mentioned, Lord, where we've allowed anything to come and choke out the life from your dream, from your calling, from the word that you've given us. We turn from that this morning, and this morning we receive your word. We hear what the Spirit is saying to the church this morning, that it's a new season, it's a new beginning. And Lord, we present our dreams, our desires, our callings, these things that you've given us to birth. We bring them before you, Lord, and we choose to submit to your word. We choose to position ourselves in a place where, like Mary, we say, let it be unto me according to thy word, where we choose to position ourselves in a place Holy Spirit, where you can bring forth, you can conceive and bring forth the things that you've desired to birth in and through our lives. And we thank you that you do it this morning, Lord God. We thank you that you do it. Lord, we choose to not look at external circumstances where we see that there's no room at the end. There's no room for this thing. Lord, where we've looked at other people, other ministries, other things, and we've thought, no, we can't do this because look at them. Father, we repent of that. We choose to fix our eyes on you today. Fix our eyes on Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of our faith. And we thank you that you will do it, Lord. We thank you that you bring it forth. In, our de- in this time, in this season, Lord God, in Jesus' name, I'm just going to pray for you. Father, I thank you for your people. I thank you for every heart. And right now, in the name of Jesus, I decree and declare for those with their hands raised a change of season. Father, I thank you for angelic presence in this place to change times and change seasons. No more winter, Lord God, but a spring. No more winter, Lord God, but spring. I decree it's a season for new life. It's a season for new birth. It's a season for new things. And a time of singing has come. It's a season for increase. It's a season for multiplication. It's a season to bring forth. And we declare that over your people this morning. Father, and we give you thanks. And we give you praise for this, Lord. Make us a people of faith. In Jesus' name, I pray. Hey, E-Family, online family, that was a great message, wasn't it? We really want to fill the globe with all this teaching. Our passion is to raise leaders and release reformers. So if you want to tap into more of these teachings, you can go to www.gochurch.co.za. And I think you'll really be refreshed and reformed as you go through our materials. Well, if you enjoyed that message, Click subscribe and also share with your friends, with your enemies. Don't forget, we've got the live feed that takes place 9.30 every Sunday morning.